worthy, strong, and powerful. These are the literal definitions of the name given to this would-be saint upon his birth. Yet just as time seems to do so, you wouldn't associate these words with him any longer. As a matter of fact, when you say the word Valentine, you're more likely to conjure up images of chocolate truffles, pink hearts, and swan boats. Yes, Valentine's Day is once again upon us. Couples and friends alike will flood the supermarkets and Hallmark gift stores to find that perfect item to give to their special someone. Meanwhile, all those within the ranks of singledom are left reminded that they are without a romantic partner, whether that be by circumstance or by choice. Valentine's Day might be a hit for retailers, but the man or men, as we will come to learn, who inspired this holiday were far less concerned with fancy candy and candlelight dinners. These men were fighting for their lives and for the lives of those who they tended over. The heart may have become the symbol for Valentine's Day to remind us of our love for one another, but the true reminder in this Valentine's Day imagery is what that heart is for. Because in 269 AD, in the midst of the Christian martyrdom in Rome, blood red was indeed the color that tainted February 14th as it spilled from the body of St. Valentine, a man whose name still hangs as a banner over this now holiday. This is Itinerant, Biblical History Beyond the Bible, presented by The Reckless Pursuit, and I'm Cody Johnston. The tale of St. Valentine, like many of the more famous saints, is a bit convoluted. It doesn't take much digging to learn that St. Valentine was not a single man. No, not single like without a partner, but single, as in there were more than one of him. There were actually a handful of Valentini. To make matters even more confusing, there were also at least three Valentines that died on February 14th. The odds seem pretty skewed to me, but thanks to an order of Belgian monks, this is actually a pretty stable fact. These monks spent centuries compiling every last scrap of evidence to compile the works of the saints throughout the years. The earliest of the three Valentines was said to have lived and died in Africa along with 24 soldiers, and well, that's about all we have on him to be completely honest. But the other two, they're the ones that we will be talking about today. And the second and third Valentines are honestly a bit mixed together. I want to make sure and point out that they have adopted very similar stories, so for the sake of this one, we will combine them into one person just as history has already done. Just a disclaimer. Valentine was said to live in Rome during the reign of Gothicus, once holding the office of the Bishop of Torini, a town in the province of Umbria, Italy. He uprooted and moved to Rome to become a priest to the persecuted Christian church. While proclaiming the gospel, he was arrested and placed into the custody of an aristocrat named Astrius. 
It is said that Astrius, curious as to what this man's message was, began to converse with St. Valentine as he served out his sentence via house arrest and servanthood. The more they talked, the more curious Astrius became about the validity of Jesus Christ. So to put Valentine to the test, Astrius brought him to his adopted daughter, who just so happened to be blind. The bargain was simple. If Valentine could heal his daughter, he would in turn answer one favor on his behalf. Praying to God, Valentine raised his hands to the heavens and then down to rest on the young girl's eyes, and they slowly began to open. Within the hour, her vision had returned, and Astrius was amazed. A man of his word, he asked Valentine what his request was. The saint declared that all idols in his home were to be broken, and that he was to fast for three days, and then undergo the Christian sacrament of baptism. Willing and anxious, Astrius did as the Saint Valentine decreed, and as a result, he, his family, and the 44 members of his household were all welcomed into the Christian faith. And on top of that, he let all of the Christian slaves under his watch go as well. They say you're either a lover or a fighter, and in Rome around 250 AD, this old adage had never rang more true. You see, warriors with their heads in the clouds dreaming about their wives back home made for some very distracted soldiers on the battlefield. Distracted soldiers meant more fatalities. More fatalities, especially to married men, meant more grieving members of society back home. More grief back home could hurt productivity and even the economy if you think about it. All that to say, the Roman government much preferred bachelor warriors over love-struck husbands. There was one thing they had going for them though, and that was polygamy. Polyamorous soldiers were naturally more focused on the task at hand knowing that if something happened to them, they would be a small uh, community to take care of the household should tragedy beseech them. But as Christendom began its spread through Rome and people became more involved with the church, polygamy began to decline. The Christian church held firm to the views of single partner marriage, and the more their pews began to fill, the fewer worthy soldiers Rome had to pull from. This led to the persecution of marriage within the Christian church. But persecution rarely stifles a movement. If anything, it strengthens it. Humanity doesn't like to be told that they're not allowed to do something. It's kind of been our shtick since the garden. And blessed be us that this applies here too. Insert Saint Valentine. As he began to catch wind of the persecution and outlawing of marriages within the Christian church, Valentine knew he could no longer sit idly by. They took their marriage ceremonies behind closed doors, so to speak. Now the Roman government had a major problem on their hands. Roman marriages were typically arranged and seen more as a business deal than a romantic affair. When a young man would marry, it would give him an out from military service. This worked fine in a society less concerned on romance and marriage, but when the Christian church came in, it all began to change. Here comes Saint Valentine helping people break tradition and enter into a covenant 
not because of what they think, but because of how they felt. More covenant marriages, less soldiers. Simple as that. A little side note, it's said that St. Valentine would cut out small hearts made of parchment and give it to the men in these marriage ceremonies to remind them of their vows and God's love, and that's why the symbol of the heart became a centerpiece in our romance holiday. Oh, and this of course is why St. Valentine became known as the patron saint of love. As their already thin armies began to spread even thinner and Christianity's hold gripped tighter, Emperor Claudius Gothicus, also known as Claudius II, began to take notice. He had heard of a man that had healed the daughter of his appointed aristocrat, and yet was now leading a reformation of people in marriage right beneath his nose. He was curious, he was anxious, and he was angry. Emperor Claudius called for the imprisonment of St. Valentine so he could have a moment to grapple with what all was at stake. Upon his capture, they brought him before Claudius and gave him a chance to speak his mind. Of course, a saint wouldn't dare plead for his life in a time like this. He had an audience with the highest official in Rome. This was no time for begging, this was a time for ministry. Valentine began to share the gospel with Emperor Claudius, but the words fell a bit short. Enraged at what had been going on, St. Valentine was sentenced to a three-stage death. St. Valentine was drug outside the gates of the city and into the town square. He was then beaten with clubs, stoned, and ultimately beheaded. But Valentine had one more trick up his sleeve. Before he was removed from his cell and taken to meet his fate, he managed to write a note that he knew would be found by his old friend, Asterius, the aristocrat whose daughter he healed. He scribbled on a piece of tattered parchment a message to be read by the daughter that simply stated he would always watch over her. Signed, Your Valentine. St. Valentine's body was tossed out but later discovered in the 1800s deep within a Roman catacomb. His skeleton was then distributed across the countryside to churches as a relic from Christian past. His skull remained in Rome, in the Basilia of Santa Maria in Cosmodon. There you can still find it resting, adorned in flowers on display. Other parts of Valentine can be found in the San Anton Church in Madrid, Whitefriar Street Church in Dublin, the Church of Saints Peter and Paul in Prague, St. Mary's Assumption in Kelmno, Poland, as well as churches in Malta, Birmingham, Glasgow, and on the Greek Isles. February 14th, Valentine's Day, is set in our calendars as a reminder of all that our history has told us about love. But romance is a whole other story. While we do know that three St. Valentines died on this same date, what hasn't always been is the association with passion. Actually, the romance didn't come into play until a thousand years or so 
after the saint's death. Up until then, Valentine's Day was just another feast holiday. So how did all that come into the mix? Well, the first theory worth looking at is to take notice of how close Valentine's Day falls to the mid-February Roman festival known as Lupercalia. Lupercalia was a festival closely associated to the god Pan. During this time, blood sacrifices would be made while men dressed only in thongs cut from the skins of those animal sacrifices danced about in the streets. Not unlike what numerous men continue to do behind closed doors most Valentine's Day evenings. These rituals were said to aid in the birthing process for expectant mothers, as well as to invite fertility to those who had not yet conceived. Ah, love is in the air. Luckily, the second and more prevalent theory has to do less with cult festivals and more to do with the natural order of creation. European nobility began to notice birds pairing off and laying eggs in mid-February. Geoffrey Chaucer, author of The Canterbury Tales, went on to write a poem known as The Parliament of Fowls that pairs the birds' natural mating habits and the arrival of Valentine's Day. Things snowballed from there, and before you know it, people were passing cute love notes back and forth to mimic the natural cycles of the mating season. Even the French Duke of Orleans and Shakespeare got on board. And just like that, St. Valentine's Day narrowed its focus down and cast its namesake into the ocean of time, forever immortalized as the Day of Romance. Humans love relics. It could be a chunk of rock, bone, wood, or a paper heart adorned with symbols from the past. Or maybe it's something as simple yet complex as a great story. Whatever the case, we cling to these totems to remind us where we have been, and the story of St. Valentine is no different. There's no way of knowing how much of the tales we read are true, if they are attributed to one man, three, five, or even a dozen. Maybe they're a compilation of years summed up under one title, like a leather-bound book houses multiple chapters. Or maybe it's just a historical exaggeration. Either way, I don't think it matters. Early Jewish teachers and Christians alike knew the beauty of a great story. They contemplated and wrote according to the message that they hoped would one day be received rather than the specificities. Every word is a vessel. Picture it like a small ship carrying its load into port. And if words are like ships, then stories are like a fleet coming to stock an entire town with supplies. Stories paint for us pictures, convey ideas, and give us a common ground to stand on. Learning turns from work to leisure, and we hold fast to what we gather. So this Valentine's Day, or any day for that matter, let these stories drive you forward. Yes, the chocolate is delicious, and the romance can be pleasurable, but the true beauty of St. Valentine is not what he did for a judge's daughter or some Roman lovebirds. It goes much deeper than that. It's about the epitome of love itself. Every friend, family member, or romantic partner that's in our life is to show us a facet of the true love, the love of Christ. We can get so distracted trying to understand God, but if we for a moment would stop lofting our gaze up to the heavens and instead down to the eyes of our fellow humanity, we would experience God's love in a way nothing else could ever match. 
Every set of eyes reflects a new facet of God's love. So take a moment and show those around you that same love in return. Allow your preconceived notions to fall. Expand your sight and allow that love to pour in from all directions. It's there in waiting as soon as we are ready. Thank you for listening to this episode of Itinerant. If you enjoy the show, take a moment to subscribe, rate, and share it on with a friend. Word of mouth is a powerful thing, and your recommendation is much appreciated. You can find out more about me and the show at itinerantpodcast.com. I co-host another podcast called The Reckless Pursuit. The Reckless Pursuit is a show dedicated to providing a safe place for Christians to ask unsafe questions. If you need a community of people where you can talk about your questions safely, we might just be your tribe. No matter your current church status or even religious views, all questions are welcome to help us grow and lay down our spiritual baggage. So if you feel like a spiritual nomad, we invite you to stop and rest. The journey is long, but the beauty lies within it. And until next time, keep searching. You never know what mysteries lie ahead.